Hi, this is Jen Dunlap with Bright Families. Today, I have a different sort of topic. This is about test prep, because for many years, I taught SAT and ACT and then later CLT test prep, more commonly verbal, but also math. And back when I took the SAT in late 90s, it was not common to prepare with any level of detail. You could buy the books, but my parents were certainly not organized enough to make it a regular thing. I'm, I did a practice test or two. My school had a policy of doing a PSAT practice in 10th grade, then we took the real PSAT in 11th grade, and then if we wanted to do practice before we took the SAT, we were welcome to. And if I had done more practice, I would have perhaps done better on the math section. I did quite well on the verbal without the extra practice because most of what we read was hard books, not not easy books. And so the verbal questions felt pretty transparent um, since I was used to reading much harder stuff than the SAT passages. Also, back in the 90s, they still had analogies which is a whole other question, but if you're naturally good at analogies, that was a big advantage back then. For both verbal and math sections, you want them to get comfortable with the whole process of the test taking. The filling in the bubbles, the pacing, the duration, because it's kind of a marathon to do a three plus hour test. And for that reason, I do think it's worth practicing at home practicing some individual sections, and then perhaps practicing one whole three-hour stretch where they do a whole test. It's very common, particularly for homeschooled kids who aren't used to timelines and class times and frameworks in that way, to have trouble working at an appropriate pace to do well on this kind of test. And so one of the main things I explain to students is not to read a passage too, too carefully, or if they're in a math section, do not spend too much time on those first few questions. So let's talk about the math first in more detail. A math section will typically give you a little less than a minute per question. But the easier questions are the ones at the beginning. And so I really, really emphasize when I'm tutoring this, there is no way you should be spending 40 seconds per question on every single one of those early questions. They are not worth it. This is middle school math. It's not algebra in many cases. Those first 10 or 15 questions are reading charts, percentages, fractions, decimals. And hopefully all of that is really old news by the time you are 10th or 11th grade. If you're out of practice, definitely revisit that. But the good news is, if you have a kid that doesn't feel that great about algebra or even geometry, they should still be able to get all of those early questions if they give it enough attention. So do not spend too much time on those early questions. These are multiple choice questions, which means that if you conceive the problem correctly, if you understand what they're asking, and you're careful not to be misled, you do not need to calculate the questions all the way to the end. You only have to calculate the 
to a certain point, and then you can estimate and then choose correctly between the many options. It's, it's actually less common that you have to calculate all the way if you are a good estimator. And by 11th or 12th grade, my math teachers were just relentless about this. And estimating is such a great, great skill for math. It's worth working on completely for other reasons than the SAT. So estimate, estimate more than complete. And if you are using a section, or doing a section where it says you can use a calculator, most of the time you do not need to use the calculator. Now, again, my math teachers were kind of old school about this. They said, if you understand the problem correctly and you are decent at estimating, you will not need the calculator. And I, I think that is the case. So when I'm doing these sections with a student that I'm tutoring, I will point out to them that four out of five questions, a calculator would be no additional benefit to you at all. By the time you know what to put into the calculator, if it's a multiple choice question, you're choosing, you know, you can estimate and you can get an answer that, and you know which ones to eliminate. And so again, don't use a calculator every question just because you're allowed to keep your brain engaged and estimate now if you're growing up using calculator you're probably faster than me but most homeschool kids that i see in our community are not using calculators for most of their math problems the you know the moms are wanting them to estimate the last thing about the math section is that the questions can be asked differently from how they might be asked in your book and i had done saxon which I did not love, but probably was very good preparation for the SAT. But I was not so confident in my math that when they asked questions in a very different way, I knew what to do with the questions. Now, my friend who was a mathier person than me, she had no trouble adjusting her brains to the questions being asked in a different way. But if you're just a regular math student, that's another reason to specifically look at the SAT math and practice getting used to the way they ask questions, which can be a little different from your book. Now, even if you are not completely excellent and up on all of your math, you can use the strategy of know when to hold and know when to fold. And so, you know, obviously that's from poker, but I tell students, if you have simply no idea what they're asking, if they have that little eye with italics and you haven't done that, or if you can't remember what tangent is, just you can skip it or you can guess. But do not agonize. Don't spend more. Don't spend time on that question. Move on to one where you have an, an, a shot at actually getting it correct. And that's all the more reason to put the time into those first questions. Not too much time, but you'll probably be able to get all of those first questions right if your head is in the game. And then as the sections go on, you get more challenging questions and you might run out of time. And that's okay. In many cases, to get into the college the kids want to get into, they do not have to get an amazing math score or an amazing verbal score. You know, you're looking to be squarely into the 500s, 600s, and it's just one part of your application process. So 
the short version is I would encourage you to look at some SAT math sections. If there's really any really obvious holes of things that your kid can be easily taught, then do those things. You know, review sine, cosine, tangent, review uh, whatever other things they've forgotten. There are always questions about ratios and triangles. And I think in every single SAT math section I've seen, there is at least one question that has a 30, 60, 90 right triangle. And you're supposed to remember that the ratio of those sides is 1, 2, square root of 3. With the short side, the hypotenuse, and the longer side of the right angle. It, it always seems to come up. And there are many questions like that where there's a prior bit of knowledge that will make it very clear and intuitive to solve that problem. But if it's not at your fingertips, you're going to spend way too much time on it. So those little geometry shortcuts, knowing that the angle at the center of the triangle or the circle is twice as large as the same arc angle but all the way to the other circumference or, you know, those sorts of things are good shortcuts if to know. Not that you need to review all your geometry, but just, just those kind of tricks. Okay, so for verbal, for both the SAT and CLT, the passages vary quite widely in their, in their quality. CLT passages tend to be from more classic books and are more interesting in themselves. If you have a classically educated Homeschooler, the CLT is probably going to be right up their alley and feel very natural. When I taught test prep for a Catholic homeschool group, the students felt that the CLT verbal was easier than the SAT or ACT verbal. That was their perception, I think, because the type of passages were more what they were used to. Not because they were easier, but just it was more what they were used to. In some cases, it's actual passages from books they'd actually read, like Tale of Two Cities. And the SAT and CLT, or ACT, will have some of that. But uh, even in, I don't know, 97, I remember my friend and I joking that every single SAT had at least one passage about the earth or the environment being destroyed, and at least one passage about some kind of victimized minority and so this was before the word woke even existed, but there's always been that bent with a little bit of social engineering built into the SAT and ACT. And that can also make the passages feel more challenging if you're not used to reading any kind of nonfiction, sciency articles, um, short stories from a more modern perspective. This kind of writing can be challenging for kids. Their minds can wander and they won't get very much and they won't know necessarily what to do with the questions. Now, I was a really big reader and I read a lot of things like National Geographic and whatever magazines you know we had lying around as a kid. And so that probably made it easier when it came to this type of passage to simply read it quickly and then you know look at the questions. But for students who have a harder time focusing and they know their minds are going to wander, I do encourage them to look at the questions first because answering a question and then another question can help keep them more focused. 
Ultimately, they probably will have to read the whole passage, but to approach it more as a problem to be solved than as a thing you're going to read because you're interested in it can be helpful for some students. Some people also advise skimming the whole passage. Depending on the student and your reading style, you may or may not get much out of skimming it. Some people are really good at at having the tone words kind of pop out and the sense of the passage, and other people just see random words and it doesn't really help them to skim. And again, I think this is why it's worth doing a practice test or two so your student can experience their preferences and what seems to work best for them. Now, for both verbal and math sections, I would say set the timer for however long the section is going to be and then tell the student you're just going to do the section. Whenever the timer goes off, we'll put a little mark at that point of the page and then you'll finish the section and then we'll just note how much time it took to finish the section just for information. This can be hard for a kid who's anxious and is really worried about the time. And so what I've told many students, because I've seen this happen, is I've had students who were over time on every single section the first week you know, the first test or two. And after we did a couple tests, if you, you know, if you have a kid who's keeps running over on time and you want to keep practicing, um, you learn the pace. And I had a student who went from going over time to completing each section in a little over half the time allotted. She had, she had time to burn at the end of every section. Once she got used to the format and the, the particular way she needed to focus. So that is a learned skill to manage that time. I know it's not going to be equally easy for every student if they have certain types of learning disabilities, if they're slow readers, but most people will improve their time and it can be nice to track that and show that to your kid if they're not feeling confident. Now, some of the sections where you're correcting grammar mistakes, you might look at the options and think none of these look that great. This is a terrible piece of writing. And so there again, seeing the practice tests and explanations and kind of the style book that the CLT and SAT are working from, you know, maximum clarity, basic punctuation, simplicity, avoiding redundancy like it's the biggest problem ever, and dangling modifiers. And those those common grammar things that you're probably correcting as their teacher or their teachers are correcting in school but here the stakes are a little bit higher for noticing and often kids will notice that it sounds wrong but they don't quite know why or the sentence sounds shapeless with a a dangling modifier and so then when you put in some humorous examples like after peeling their skins the kids ate the bananas Right, So I explained to the students that this sounds weird. It sounds like the kids peeled their skins off before they ate their bananas. We know it's the banana skins. But if you were someone visiting from another planet and you knew nothing about human behavior, you might read this sentence and think that humans take their skins off before they eat bananas. And so we want you want it to be you know alien visitor level clear. And... The humorous examples tend to, to stick out in their minds and really illustrate this process. Another way I've explained the dangling modifier is 
that phrase sets you up. You expect a certain word after that comma. You expect an answer to who or what, right? You need a subject after that comma. And if it's not there, that's what makes the sentence feel shapeless because you're thinking, where am I? I, I, needed, I need to know who did that introductory phrase. And so we, you know, we talk about some of these options. I also encourage students to, to think through some of the options for how to improve passages before they look at the options that are presented in the test. So when you get to one of those underlined passages and you know they're going to ask you how it should be improved or changed, think through what you could do to improve or change it. Punctuation or taking out words or rephrasing it. And sometimes that is one of the options. At any rate, it keeps your brain engaged before you look at the options that they've presented in the test. And that's really, really helpful from a focus perspective and also it can save you time. Now, another type of passage that can be challenging is the science passages or anything with a graph because you're switching back and forth between two different types of information, information that's presented verbally and information that's presented in pictures. And on the SAT, when I took it, this wasn't a thing. And so it was actually a bit of an adjustment for me because I have a strong preference for information being presented verbally. And I can look at charts, but if I'm reading a book, I will often just read the words. So I talk the kids through how to look at the chart and put the chart into some words and say, okay, if you were going to say a sentence or two about this graph, what would you say? Which month has the highest temperature? Which month has the lowest temperature? Which ball fell the fastest? Um, Which area got the greatest precipitation? Again, kind of like those grammar questions, just engaging with the information in front of you so that your brain is really seeing that chart and your eyes don't kind of metaphorically glaze over. And then it feels so challenging to answer the questions that they will give you about those graphs and charts. Now, in some cases, if you articulate the information on the graphs and charts, that might even be the questions that you get asked. So that's very convenient. It can be a time saver, but at the very least, You've checked your brain into this process of looking at a graph and thinking about what it means. And that does save time and it helps you be in the right frame of mind to answer those science kind of more chart and graph questions on both tests. So ultimately, with both tests, with whatever test you take, and the verbal and the math sections, it's helpful to get some comfort with the process to see where your personal pitfalls are. Are you making careless mistakes? Are you making overthinking mistakes? Are you simply running out of time? Are you wondering too much? Do you have a hard time answering certain types of math questions or certain types of verbal questions? Are there little holes in your knowledge that you would benefit from fixing anyway, not even just for the SAT. Starting a couple months before you have a test can be really, really helpful for all of those reasons. And scheduling more than one test for your child takes
take some of the pressure off to get that greatest score they could possibly get the first time they take it. You can be very nervous the night before and not sleep well. You might not bring enough snacks. You might drive far to get wherever you're going to take it. And for all these reasons, it can be it can be feeling pretty challenging that first time. But for most of us, we're not going to be as nervous about something the second time we do it. We couldn't possibly work ourselves up the same way. And so that second test that's planned in advance gives them the opportunity to take it another time and just see how it goes. And hopefully you have enough time to schedule it for a couple of months later. Some people schedule a test for spring of junior year and then fall of senior year or a couple different ones in senior year, depending on your application deadlines for college. And I'll close with a couple funny stories. I normally was that kid that fell asleep before nine every night. But when I realized that there were some stakes with the SAT, which I had not realized with the PSAT, so it was not an event. um, I remember that night actually having a hard time falling asleep and it was 1030 at night. And I thought, why is everyone being so loud? Even though normally I crashed like a rock by nine o'clock. And the joke was I couldn't keep my eyes open after nine. And my friend's son recently took the SAT and totally got his mom. He told her about how the test sections went and his thoughts as he was going through the test. And then after a little pause in the car, he said, there was just one thing I didn't understand. They had this sheet with a bunch of circles on it, and I wasn't really sure what to do with it, so I just set it aside. And there was this terrible moment where his mom thought he'd actually not filled in anything for the SAT, which of course was just the best prank ever that he played on her, which he probably planned out as he finished the SAT. And so we were both so proud of him for pulling one over on her because it was just so, so funny. He understood that, you know, his mom was pretty invested and this would be just the perfect joke. So I hope that I hope that you're able to give your child a little bit of time and space to prepare. Find some good resources. There's Khan Academy. Um, even just doing the practice tests and talking through some of the questions with a kid who's a little bit older, who's kind of good at math or good at explaining the grammar um, is going to be helpful. And fortunately, the stakes are lower for these test scores than they used to be. Still worth trying to do decently on them, but college admissions have shifted a bit, so it's less, less of a thing than it used to be. All right, this is Jen with Bright Families. I hope this is helpful.